Amen. Thank you, ladies. Well, good morning, church. We are continuing our message series this morning through the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bibles, uh, you'll want to take those out. We're calling this series Servant and Savior. Today we're in Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. And we're calling our message an issue of authority. An issue of authority. I thought we would uh, start our message today with a pop quiz. You didn't know you were coming to church to have a test. But let's, uh, let's have a little quiz here. Uh, Feel free to shout out the answers, okay? I'm looking for for answers, so if you know them, shout them out. An electric train is moving north at 100 miles per hour, and a wind is blowing to the west at 10 miles per hour. Which way does the smoke blow? (laughs) West? What's that? Ah, there you go. There's no smoke. It's an electric train. Here's another one. Where's Gordon? Gordon Locke. You, You are a resident apple expert. If there are six apples and you take away four, how many do you have? You have four. The four that you took. (laughs) One more, one more. How far can you walk into the woods? Only halfway. I heard somebody back there. After that, you're walking out of the woods. And then finally, how many times can you subtract 10 from 100? Many times as you want, I heard somebody say. No, once, once, the next time you'll be subtracting 10 from 90. Good job. You guys are a clever bunch. All right. So we could categorize those as trick questions, right? And I wanted to do that because it occurred to me, you know, there were times when Jesus was asked trick questions. And then there were times where he used questions to confound and to convict those who were listening to him. You know, in the Gospels, there are 25 occasions when Jesus was asked a direct question that required a simple answer, and interestingly, he only gave a direct response four times to those inquiries. The other 21 times, he answered the questions with a counter-question. Next, uh, in a few weeks, when we, when we get into Mark chapter 12, we're going to see that just in that chapter alone, Jesus asks seven different questions. I came across an article recently called Let Me Ask You Something, and the author, Becky Broden, suggests that there are at least three types of questions that Jesus asked in the Gospel of Mark. The first was probing questions. These are the kinds of questions that get a listener to really think. Uh, An example is back in Mark chapter 3 and verse 4. Is it lawful, Jesus asked, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? Well, that'll get you thinking for a few minutes. It's a probing question. The second type that he asked are personal questions. Instead of just drawing out more information, personal questions help people reveal their own feelings and beliefs. Not very long ago, we were in Mark chapter 8, and you might remember that Jesus asked his disciples, he said, who do the people say that I am? And they answered, well, some say you're John the Baptist or Elijah or one of the prophets. But then Jesus personalized it. He, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? That's personal, isn't it? And then finally, Jesus asked many times provocative questions. This is the, the third kind of question, uh, provocative, that kind of creates conversation and discussion. And sometimes it can even put people kind of on the defense a little bit. And that's what we're going to see in our text this morning. 
So today, I'd like for us to read together Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. That's our text. The words are going to be on the screen. But as we read, I want you to key in on the four times the word authority comes up. All right, watch for those. Authority, because that's what we're talking about here, an issue of authority. Let's read together. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as Jesus was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? For they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. An issue of authority. Well, here's a a question, a sentence that kind of uh, summarizes this section and our theme for today. Those who accept Christ must live under his authority. Well, this debate that we've just read about comes on the heels of one of the most radical things Jesus did during his lifetime. Remember that last week we just looked at this. Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple, causing the temple sacrifices to come grinding to a halt. And that event red flagged Jesus as a dangerous man, a potential threat. And so our official delegation of religious leaders comes to Jesus demanding to know who authorized him to make a scene in the temple courts. Now, this delegation that comes was uh, uh, a delegation from the official ruling body within the temple. The chief priests were the, the clergy, the professional ministers who drew their income from the temple. The scribes, some versions call them the teachers of the law. The scribes were the Bible scholars, the theologians. They were the guardians of truth and faithfulness, the appointed experts in understanding and applying Scripture and managing the various interpretations of Scripture that were issued by various rabbis and teachers. And then finally, the third group is the elders, They were the the lay leaders. Many of them, most of them really were part of a prominent group called the Pharisees. You might think of this group as the equivalent of today's pastors and, and elders in a local congregation. And so this official ruling body over the the temple and over Judaism was called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a group composed of 71 members. And each member was either a priest or a scribe or an elder. This group had absolute authority in the temple, and they also served as a a kind of a buffer between the pagan Roman government and the Jewish people. And so they come to ask Jesus a question. And of course, their question we know is a setup. It's intended to make Jesus vulnerable to accusation by publicly demanding that Jesus uh, tell who his authority is, or making that scene in the temple, they are showing the crowds that are there that they didn't authorize Jesus' action. 
You see, everything that happened in the temple was under their authority. And by publicly demanding to know where Jesus got his authority, they are communicating to the people that they didn't give Jesus authority to do what he did. They want to make that clear. It was a clever move on their part to discredit Jesus without accusing him just outright. So, if Jesus didn't have any human authority behind his actions, they, that could only mean that he is claiming to act with God's authority. And you see, these religious leaders know that for Jesus to claim to override human authority and to act with God's authority was a very dangerous claim to make. Only someone claiming to be Israel's true king could do that, which then would make Jesus vulnerable to the Roman authorities. They didn't want anything to do with a Jewish king. So by sending this official delegation to publicly question Jesus' authorization, the Sanhedrin is distancing themselves from Jesus and setting him up for trouble with Rome. But Jesus' response is totally different, isn't it, than what they expect. By refusing to answer their question until they answer his question, Jesus takes charge of the situation. His question of them is an implicit uh, declaration of his own authority. And so instead of being the accused on the defensive, suddenly Jesus becomes the interrogator on the offensive, the one in charge. Well, we know that authority is important, isn't it? All human authority ultimately stands under God's authority. And when we try to use our authority against God's authority, we make the same mistake that the religious leaders in Jesus' day did. This debate with the religious leaders shows us about the true authority in our lives. And so for the remainder of our time, I want to just consider with you three ways that we, as Christ's followers, can live under the authority of Jesus. And the first thing that we want to take a look at is that we must absorb authority. Absorb authority. We learned last week that after cursing the fig tree and cleansing the temple, Jesus went back to Bethany to spend the night and then verse 27 tells us what happened the very next day. They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking into the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Jesus was using the temple courts as a classroom to teach those who were seeking truth. It was common in his day for teachers to walk and to talk as they taught. Remember, we learned last week that these courtyards were vast, acres, really, a large facility. So there's plenty of room for roaming rabbis to teach and to walk as their followers would listen. Luke's account of this same uh, situation mentions that Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel. Well, we know that Jesus had predicted earlier back in, in chapter 8 that these very three groups of religious leaders would turn on him. Listen to this, Mark 8, 31. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Jesus knew this was coming. It's part of his plan and his purpose. It's on his agenda 
to have this conversation this day with these religious leaders in a public setting. And so we see now in verse 28 that they come with a, a two-part question that's pretty blunt and it's pretty bold. By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do them? How sad. How sad that they don't want the truth to be taught in God's temple. Their question really reveals that the ultimate issue in life is authority. They want to know what he's doing and who it is who gave him the right to do it. Basically, what are they saying? They're saying, who do you think you are? You ever say that to anybody? Maybe they question you. Who do you think you are? What are we saying? We're saying, what authority do you have to tell me what to do? And yet, Jesus is the Lord of authority, isn't he? In one sense, when they ask him that question, it's a legitimate question. It's part of their job as caretakers of the temple and, and worship. But really, what's going on is they're, they're threatened, aren't they? They're personally threatened by everything that Jesus is doing, everything that he's teaching, and they don't like it. Maybe you've heard the story of a, a naval ship captain who was sailing late at night when he saw a light that was on a collision course with his own course. And so he told his, his radio operator to send the message, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. They waited and the message came back, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Well, the captain didn't like that. And he replied back, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. I'm a commander. The response came back. Alter your course. I'm a seaman, third class. Well, that made the captain really furious. And he replied back, alter your course. I'm a battleship. The response came back, alter your course. I'm a lighthouse. <laughs> God's authority... God's authority is like that lighthouse. It doesn't move. No matter how much authority we think we possess in this life, God's authority overrides our authority. And so either we alter our course, getting our lives in line with God's authority, or we crash into the rocks of life. There's really no in-between. This means that no government, no political party, no philosophy, no family tradition, no nation, no court, not even the church can negate God's authority. Now, human authority and structure certainly is important. It's an important part of our lives. Without it, total anarchy would break out in our communities. But we must remember that our ultimate allegiance as Christ followers is to always follow God's authority first. Can you imagine how God viewed these religious leaders who were trying to assert their authority over the authority of his beloved son? Now, they had some legitimate authority. They were priests, they were scholars, they were leaders. But when they tried to assert that authority over the authority of God's son, they were overstepping the boundaries. And what happened? They crashed onto the rocks by refusing to alter their course. The word authority means to have the right and might to do anything, 
to possess permission and unimpeded power to act. It was Jesus' self-evident authority that left a mark on the people who met him. You remember back in chapter 1 when we were first starting this series, in verse 22 of chapter 1, it said of, of the people that were listening to Jesus, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had what? Authority, and not as the scribes. Wow, isn't that a great quote? In Jesus' day, rabbis like himself, teachers, commonly would quote other rabbis, to kind of shore up their teaching whenever they taught to the crowds. But Jesus, Jesus didn't need to quote any other rabbis. 75 times in the Gospels, Jesus made this statement, truly, truly, I say to you. That's a statement of authority. Jesus didn't need any other authority. He was the final authority. So the religious leaders are asking Jesus for his credentials and for the source of his authority because they're threatened and they're worried about losing control, about losing status, about losing power. And friends, when we act like those religious leaders and fail to fully absorb the authority of Christ in our lives, often it's because we too are fearful, fearful of losing control. Fearful of losing status. Fearful of losing power. May it not be us, God's people, who choose our own authority over the authority of Christ. Listen to this definition of absorb. We're talking about absorbing authority. Absorb, to soak up or drink in like a liquid, like a sponge absorbs water. Isn't that a great picture? To absorb, to swallow up the identity or individuality of. To incorporate, as in the empire absorbed many smaller nations. To absorb, to involve the full attention of. To engross or engage wholly. For example, he was so absorbed in his book, he did not hear the ringing bell. Brothers and sisters, our calling as Christ followers is not to question authority as the religious leaders in Jesus's day did, or as is so prevalent in our American culture of individualism and personal rights that we hold so dearly. No, our role is to absorb the authority of Jesus, to soak it up, to be so engrossed, so incorporated into his ways, his thoughts, his authority, that we need not feel threatened. We need not feel fearful of losing power or control or status. Absorb his authority. When we live under the authority of Jesus, next we will answer, answer his questions. Not only will we absorb authority, we will answer his questions. I love how quickly Jesus demonstrates his authority by not answering their question. Just as he, the day before, had turned the tables over in the temple, now he turns the tables on them. Here in verse 29, Jesus says, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus is demonstrating here a truth that is illustrated in Proverbs 26.4. Proverbs 26.4 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly. 
Jesus is not going to get down in the mud with these guys. He's not evading or ignoring their question, but rather he's revealing what is really in their heart. And especially when he asks next in verse 30, he asks them the question, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Did you catch that Jesus two times says, answer me. That itself is a demonstration of authority because he is demanding an answer. The phrase is sharp, it's direct, answer me. The leaders are between a rock and a hard place, aren't they? They're on the the horns of a dilemma. That phrase refers to being impaled by, by one of the two horns on a charging bull. However they answer Jesus, they're gonna get gored. They don't see a good answer to his question. Take a look at verses 31 and 32. And they discussed it with one another saying, if we say from heaven... He'll say, why then did you not believe in him? Referring to John the Baptist. But shall we say from man? Oh, they don't want to do that. They were afraid of the people for the people all held that John really was a prophet. The word discuss there means to debate, to deliberate, and to reckon through. So they get together. I imagine them huddling up and saying, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? They're just stumped. No matter how they answer, they're stuck. If they say John is from heaven, then Jesus is going to ask them, why, didn't, why don't you believe it? But if they say John was just from the people, then the people are going to get upset. In Luke's account of this same event, in Luke chapter 20, it, we read that uh, Luke writes that the, that the leaders were afraid of getting stoned by the people. They were in a dangerous predicament here. They're more concerned with what people think than with what the truth is. How about you? Are you ever in that position? More concerned with what people think than what the truth is? Friends, we must be comfortable with who Jesus is. And part of recognizing who he is is being able to answer the questions that he asks of us. So I thought it would be interesting to, uh, I I spent some time uh, last week just looking through the Gospels at some of the questions that Jesus asked. We don't have time to to go through all of them. There are many, many, but I've picked just three uh, that I think will help us get thinking about our relationship with Jesus. Three questions from the Gospels. So you you listen and, and think about how you'd answer them. First, several times in the Gospels, Jesus asked people, what do you want me to do for you? People would come to him and he'd say, what do you want me to do for you? So there's a good question. How about you? What do you want from the Lord? What are you expecting from him? Are our desires and our expectations in line with his authority as Lord? Or are we more interested in a God of our own creation? that operates in a way that we see fit. Here's another question that Jesus asked. We already touched on it earlier. Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say I am? And they, they answered, and, and then Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Guys, who do you say that I am? And so, how about for us? Who is Jesus to you? Is he the Lord? Is he the leader? Is he the love of your life? Or is he merely one component of a life filled with self-interest, self-determined goals, 
or relationships that are focused more on what you receive than what you give. Who is Jesus to you? And then finally, here's a sobering set of questions that was issued by Jesus. He says, why do you see the splinter that's in your brother or sister's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother or sister, let me take the splinter out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? Sobering, isn't it? Is our life more focused on the faults and the failures of others than it is on the changes that we need to pursue? Are we so focused on assigning blame to others that we are unwilling to recognize our own bitterness, our own brokenness? Friends, if we are to live under the authority of Jesus, we must first absorb his authority, and then we must be willing to answer the tough questions that Jesus asks. And then finally, if we're going to live under the authority of Jesus, we have to apply the conclusions. Apply the conclusions. In our text, instead of answering Jesus, his critics tap out. After they huddle up and, and discuss with one another, they come back with this overwhelmingly wise question. What? Well, we don't know. We don't know. And so Jesus says to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. This answer from the religious authorities makes them seem, remember this is in front of the crowds, it makes them seem unofficial and uncertain. And actually, it's not that they didn't know the answer, it's that they didn't have the courage to put the answer into words. They don't want to acknowledge the authority of Jesus because those who accept Christ must live under his authority. And they don't like that conclusion. That's not the conclusion they're looking for. And so Jesus is done talking to them. And folks, think about that. That's a terrible spot to be in. To have Jesus no longer talking to you. That is not the conclusion that we want in our lives either. Because they don't honestly answer his question, he's not going to answer theirs. They don't really want to know anyway. And so Jesus is not interested in engaging with them any longer. And listen, friends. If we refuse to accept the teachings of Jesus, there is a point when no further teachings will be necessary. That's the sad conclusion of the matter. You know, it can be disheartening to realize sometimes how few Christians are living under the absolute authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of following the facts of our faith, too many of us live out kind of the Disney movie mantra. You know what that is? Follow your heart. Follow your heart and everything will work out. Instead of submitting to the Lord's authority, some of us would rather be autonomous, picking and choosing what it is that we believe, picking and choosing how we should behave rather than seeking the Lord's authority on the matter. I want you to remember that Satan appealed to Eve's autonomy all the way back at the beginning, didn't he? To get her to reject God's authority. A few years ago, in 2017, researcher George Barna conducted a survey. It was based on, on focused on biblical worldview. 
We could say that our, our worldview is our conclusions about how things work in the world that we live in. How do we view this world? What conclusions do we come to? That's our worldview. So Barna's research found a, a prevalence of strong agreement with ideas, or we could say conclusions, unique to non-biblical worldviews. Those non-biblical worldviews were prevalent among many, non, uh, many practicing Christians. His survey contained eight questions to determine how many people that claim to be born-again believers truly have a Christian worldview. So he asked these questions of people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again follower of Jesus. Great. Answer these questions. Here are the questions. I want to encourage you, just in your own mind, you answer them as I read through them. What are your conclusions about these questions? Number one, do absolute moral truths exist? Number two, is absolute truth defined in the scriptures? Number three, did Jesus Christ live a sinless life? Number four, is God the all-powerful and all-knowing creator of the universe, and does he still rule it today? Number five, is salvation a gift from God that cannot be earned? Number six, is Satan real? Number seven, does a Christian have a responsibility to share his or her faith in Christ with other people? And number eight, is the Bible accurate in all its teachings? Those are the eight questions. Sadly, only 9%, 9% of self-labeled born-again believers answered yes to all eight of those questions. Here are a few more troubling findings from the research. They found that slightly less than half, less than half of born-again adults, 46%, believe in absolute moral truth. That's people in the church, folks. They found that almost a quarter of practicing Christians, 23%, strongly agree that, quote, what is morally right or wrong depends on what an individual believes. That's a statement about our own authority, not Jesus' authority. And then they found that one-third of practicing Christians, 32%, strongly agree with this statement. If you do good, you'll receive good. And if you do bad, you'll receive bad. Friends, that's karma. That is not Christianity. Brothers and sisters, a biblical worldview must impact our beliefs and our behavior. Otherwise, we're just playing a game. Like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. We may be so comfortable in our personal conclusions about truth and life and godliness that we are unable to apply the conclusions that the Lord, the Savior, and the ruler of the universe has already made and spoken about. And so it ultimately comes down to an authority issue. If we accept Christ, we must live under His authority. And so friends, may we guard against the prevalence of flawed conclusions based on personal feelings that are so rampant in our culture today. And instead, my prayer is that we would be a people 
a church, a community committed to conclusions based on Jesus' teachings, on his scriptures, not on our personal feelings or opinions. That is our prayer for one another this week. Let's pray together. Father God, as we read through those statistics, those are very sobering. And God, it causes us to think, are we thinking rightly? Lord, do we have a mindset on things above and not on the things of this world? Father, are we pursuing life and godliness and all that pertains to it? Or, we, or Lord, are we pursuing our own way? Father, I pray that for each person here in this building today, each person listening online, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us. Lord, speak to us, show us the adjustments that we need to make, Father, so that our, our beliefs and our thoughts and our ideas are based on your conclusions and not on our own. Father, may we absorb your truth. May we live in your authority. May we honor your goodness and your love for each of us as we wear the name of your Son and call ourselves Christians. And it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So may he guide you into truth this week as you seek his authority. Before we sing our closing song, I just want to uh, take a moment to let you know about some